Hello there. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. Hello there, and welcome to the Mandalorian Review a podcast. This is episode number five. Welcome back to. Another week of us chatting about the Mandalorian shenanigans and what's been going on in the latest season. We weren't here last week. Me and my good buddy, we're at Star Wars Celebrations, geeking it up big time. And when I say big time, I mean Star Wars, all the Star Wars things. Yeah. We're talking news, cosplayers, merch. Yeah. A few beers. Just a few. Just a few beers. So yeah, that's why we weren't here last week. We were going to record something, but... In hindsight, it was probably good that we didn't do that because it was so, it was just really busy, really loud, loads going on, and we would have struggled to find, you know, a good half an hour to do that stuff. Although we did chill out for a little bit, it would just would have been messy. You know, one of those messy podcasts that you listen to now and then, and you just think, why'd you do that? Probably should have just waited. So yeah, we didn't do that. But we have got some cool content coming this week. We've got two rounds of The Mandalorian to review. And next week, we've got another couple of eps coming up. So, yeah, all good stuff coming on SOR and the Mando Review app. My name's Gary. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm going to bring on my co-host in a second. Before we get to that, though, make sure you are following and subscribing. You know all the stuffs, you know, wherever you get your podcast apps from. Make sure you're following so you don't miss an ep when it lands every week. And we're going to round up the Mando next week, actually. So that will be the last one in this particular podcast. But you will continue to get it through SOR if you are listening there, of course. Rightio, here he is. Here he is. It's the guy that's now sport. I'm not going to lie, dudes. It's the guy that's sporting probably one of the best looking skateboard decks you've seen this year. Yeah, he's moved out of the way. You can't see him, but yeah, showing off. It's Mr. Mark. How you doing, buddy? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, it was... Uh for anyone that doesn't know, that was the it's the the skateboard deck from Star Wars Celebration, which I had to walk all the way through London with, because I was trying to peg it for the train, wasn't I? I was trying to get the <laughs> earlier train, which I did make, but then it was a pain in the neck because anyway, it was all kind of. <laughs> so I ended up waiting, basically I ended up waiting for the, my original train, which was two hours later. But running through London, like up the escalator at King's Cross, it's quite a big one, and I'm like, you know, tired, and. Uh, this, you know, like the etiquette is to stand on the right and leave the left free so people can run up and down or, you know, if they're in a bit of a rush, that's the etiquette. One guy wasn't, he's on the left-hand side next to his mate. So I'm running up and he's like, all right, excuse me, like from a distance, like coming through, coming through, coming through. So he's like giving it all the, the eyeball in the like, should I move, should I not move? Like giving a bit of banter, a bit of grief, bit of grief. And I'm like running, I'm like, I'm just not going to stop. So he did, he moved out of the way. And you could see that he had nothing. Like he had to say something in front of his friend to like save a bit of face. And he just went, nice skateboard, mate. <laughs> That's all he had. I was like, I just I was running. I'm still running. I just raised it up. I went, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a pretty sweet well, deck. If just Google it, if you're a Star Wars geek like we are, just. Uh, that was celebration skateboard deck. It's pretty cool, isn't it, man? It's yeah, pretty cool. it's you, you uh you got your socks on? You got some socks, didn't you? You're a sock guy. I've already worn them, mate. They're in the wash, waiting Ooh. to go round. Then we'll be back on. Hey. Yeah. I said to the um I said to my wife when I got back, she went, So you must have picked up some cool stuff then. You normally come back with some cool stuff. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check these out. She's like, oh, okay. Okay. Smashed Not impressed it. at all. 
No. Yeah, I, I said, get that. That's, that's, yeah. that's, you know, non-fans for you. Non, I'm not a fan of socks. I'm not a fan of Star Wars. What am I going to do? Yeah. Well, I love socks. You do like I socks. I love Star Wars. So that was it. And she said, how much were they then? So I told her, $16.99 for a pair of socks. Four grand. That was it, mate. That was it. She was very unimpressed. Borderline angry about that. So that was uh, that was my review for her. Yeah, that's just, that was a quick summary. <laughs> In fact, let's, just, let's crop that. Just stick that out as a review. Yeah. The socks are overpriced, but very nice. Yeah. Speaking of Star Wars Celebration, next mm-hmm. week, I know you um, for you that's listening on Spark of Rebellion, via a feed drop via Captivate, very good. Next week, we're going to have a, a review of... Star Wars Celebration, we're going to give you the lowdown on the panels we went to, the photo ops, the merch that we're talking about now, and all that stuff. So stay tuned for next week. Just do a search for Spark Rebellion on your podcast app or sparkrebellion.com. Go and find us on there. Check out all the past stuff, actually. Listen for all the all the cool stuffs, and uh, we've got that coming next week. But uh, I was going to ask you what you've done Star Warsy, but we already know. We just did it. Let's not bother with that one. So, Although I will tell you this. Oh. What did I do? Start watching uh, Clone Wars again. All the Mandalorian episodes. I told you this, didn't I? When I was drunk. All the Mando episodes. So anything <laughs> Mandalorian. And sort of anything that's like... Sort of related to Mandalorian. It's like the Darth Maul stuff. Just to get Maul back and then. Because he goes so, you know, deep into Mando. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash through Rebels as well. And I know we'll talk about this probably today and on the celebration because we got a trailer for Ahsoka and I think all of that's just become relevant. So that's what I've been doing mm-hmm. apart from celebration. Dude, who would have thought that those animated shows would be such a gateway to all the other things in years to come? It was at the time it was like, yeah, this is a sweet, especially the Clone Wars, like this is a sweet, uh, real good world building law, you know, stuff. Especially for the adults, you know, for the kids, they just love the, you know, the the Anakin stuff and the lightsaber and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But as adults watching it at the time, you're like, this is freaking sweet. But now it's like, oh my God, that thing is like now on screen as live action. It relates to all these other things and yeah. Well, it's huge, isn't it? You're totally mm. right, man. It's like, I know we'll get to that probably, we're going to do two episodes today, Amanda, but on the latest episode, like, it's... You're right. Like they're, they're really, they were really good fill out stories, you know, to, to, to flesh out the universe. But like you said, they've just become springboards for everything. Um, so fascinating to see it. And just that red thread running through it all is Filoni. You know, we talked about it before, mm-hmm. but um, his, his uh, being the custodian of the Lucas kind of, theories and the the kind of mentalities and the way that he thinks about Star Wars as a whole um, is interesting because like we, we've criticised Mando a little bit this year and I know we'll get to it but Grogu even in these last two episodes the second to last uh, the penultimate episode of the season the the, the second one we'll, we'll review today did a little bit and he's, he's been he's been more put in position for other things but he's not done anything this season apart from build more of a bond and you sort of like we've we've been really critical of that and I get it we have but then when you see some of the other stuff like the Ahsoka trailer and then this second episode we're going to review in a bit you sort of like you sort of give him a bit of a pass because you think Mm. then well 
if, 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 it's like Dear Filoni and, and Favreau, like they sort of step away from it all. And they're just seeing this as one big ass story and we're here reviewing like, oh, this episode didn't do this great, didn't do that great. And it's all, someone said it the other day at Celebration Tours, which is sort of prompted me thinking a little differently is um, we were in the line. Remember the guy we were in the line queuing up and he said, have you seen Mando? We were getting the reprints of the pictures. Yeah. And he yeah. said, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was more world building than story. And I was like, oh, do you know what? I never thought about it like that. Like actually, I am all right with that. Now he, he actually reframed my thinking a little bit. And I was like, actually, now you suppose now you've said that. Um, so like to see Filoni and Favreau stepping back and seeing just Star Wars as a whole, you know, Old Republic, High Republic, right through to this new Jedi Order and, and the sequels and all that sort of stuff. They're just seeing it as one big story and just mm -hmm. other things going on in different areas, which I've always loved that, but never, I don't know. I think as Star Wars fans, you can get too entrenched some in the specific Sometimes, you know, it's why Obi-Wan sometimes got a bad rap or and or, or even Book of Boba Fett. I'm not saying that's any better than it was originally, but, you know, are we going to be sat here in a year's time, two years, three, four years time when Filoni's fulfilled everything and been like, oh, now I get it. You know, I think mm -hmm. what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is that like Filoni and Favreau just keep building faith. <laughs> Like they're just, yes. they're not, yeah. they're not misstepping at the minute, which I think is fascinating, but a bit of a digression, but just, I, I think it's important to almost preface these two episodes that we're reviewing through the lens of those animated series, dude. I think that's really important. I think you've absolutely nailed that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, another slight digression before we get onto the review is if you're a Harry Potter fan, you probably lost your, your marbles this week because they announced that over on HBO Max, which I think they've renamed to just Max now which is, which is, uh, yeah. So they've announced they're going to do a complete remake of the Harry Potter stuff as seven seasons of a TV show, whatever. Now, I, 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 I like the Harry Potter films. My wife's a huge fan. She loves the Harry Potter stuff. But so many fans have kicked off because they're like, this is an outrage. How can you remake these amazing classic, modern classics? You know, it can't happen. I'm going to say this now. These Harry Potter series um, are going to be the the best, most faithful adaptations on the books versus the films for the exact same reason that Star Wars does this with its Disney Plus stuff. The movies, yeah, you can you can have all the big flashy set pieces and all that stuff all day long. Very cool. But you need so much more time to build the world and some extra lore and all that stuff. You can only do that in like, I know we've only got eight episodes of the Mandalorian, but that's still what just shy of seven and a half hours worth of content. You know, you can't do that in a film. So yeah, man, TV if, for, for this kind of thing you were mentioning about, they're looking at the bigger picture. You, they couldn't do that in a trilogy of films. It has to be, you know, it's huge man. Hours totally of content. Yeah. Harry Potter is a great example of that because the books are excellent. The films are just average. Like the later films get better because they get longer. And that's just a fact. You know, the, the fact that they split the, the, the Deathly Hallows into, into two is, is says it all. Um, and it, you're right. Like the books are so attractive because of the, like here's what Voldemort did to become Voldemort without the Fantastic Beasts crap. You know, so it was, mm. yeah. and, and it, that's why they're so powerful and, and stand that test of time because they draw you in. Um, and you're totally right. I, I, when I saw that last night, I was excited by it. I thought, well, it's HBO Max as well. It's not going to be cheap stuff. You know, they've just spunked a pile on Last of Us. And Harry Potter's probably, 
outside the DC stuff and, you know, maybe like Game of Thrones, Harry Potter's got to be the biggest IP that they own. So I think it's a, that's a yeah. really good example. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, we, we digress a little bit. Needed sometimes, yeah? Needed. Anyway, let's go on to our review. We're going to do both of them that we haven't done so far, which is chapter six. No, chapter, what is it? 22. The first one. Chapter 22, which was Guns for Hire. And then chapter 23, which is The Spies. So let's crack on with the um, with the first one. And a very, very quick recap. And this is going to be super quick because it's really simple. Bo and Din, the Bodin, they arrive on um, this planet called Plazir 15, which is kind of uh, in a state of rejuvenation, shall we say. Uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, I was going to use a rude word then. It was affected quite badly during the um, the Imperial years, but then um, uh, now it's run by the Duchess and it's run by um, uh, this guy, uh, Captain Bombardier. Those two, he he was an Imperial. He went through the, um, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the amnesty program. And now he fell in love with the Duchess. They got, they got their their shit together and now they run this planet and what they've done as part of the rejuvenation is to um essentially allow the 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 citizens um of of Plaza 15 to live a more relaxed life by way of just drafting in tons of uh, refurbished droids to do all the manual lifting essentially and do all the labor all the stuff so they can all live pretty happy but there's something going wrong with the droids and um they task Bo and Din with finding out what's going on. Uh, as a reward for that, they will then allow them to head over to where the other Mandalorians are essentially camping out so they can have their little chat, etc. So that's it. It's a fairly simple premise, this one. Uh, off the bat, dude, what are your thoughts on this? Because I, I, before you get onto it, I think I've never looked forward to your thoughts more than, than these two because these two episodes were worlds apart in terms of narrative tone you know all that stuff so i'm fascinated by your thoughts on this one buddy so um yeah let's go with your score first of all what are you scoring this one i'm gonna give this one a six and a half but i feel like i should score it in two parts okay so like we clocked it you and me clocked it ages ago and i spoke to sam about it as well i was like bo won the light the dark saber back like grievous droid bet mando then got beat by Bo-Katan. And let's be absolutely freaking honest, if we're really sticking to the rules, she gifted it to Gideon, as we find out later. So she's still the rightful owner anyway, because she was never bested in combat. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? All this time, hey? So was... I mean, and it was like, well, Mando got it from Gideon, because he bested it. Like, so it was, there was a, it was easy to get the Darksaber back to, to, to Bo-Katan. You know, we, well, I think we clocked that. That was, that was exactly why... They did that episode, apart from the whole mythosaur and the you know finding out Mandal- Mandalore is fine. So I'm going to score it in two sections. Um, the 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 beginning bit and the last bit, which was the like progressing the myth mythological storyline and the mythology and the lore and everything of reuniting Mandalore. And I love the idea of like you know Mandalore's always been divided. Even when you look at the Clone Wars stuff, always been divided with Death Watch and all that shit. So you think, okay. Of course she's going to say that. 
we'll go reunite everyone. The armor has got a bit of common sense about it. It doesn't matter what creed you're from. Let's get everyone together. So the bits where they were doing that, the beginning and the end were great. Um, fine, straightforward, looked very Star Wars. Uh, and then the middle bit was... It's annoying because it was crap and didn't really add to the world building unless it does. And that's that's the caveat I just want to leave there is that it might be a thread that they pull later and I'll get to that in a second. And so the storyline was not great, all right? Cute little, cute little planet, looked very Star Wars, cool, looked nice. On one hand, it was brilliant to see battle droids. It was brilliant to see all of those droids repurposed and to see and to hear Roger Roger again and to that was brilliant. To see Jack Black and Lizzo, brilliant. To see Doc Brown, even bloody better. Like absolute like in all those ways, brilliant. But it felt like when we got there, it was like, right, there's the camp with the Mandalorians that I need to go get. That's my crew. Oh, crap. There's this other mission that's just kicked off. For fuck's sake. It's like when you play Gears of War and it's like, right, we've got to go save Marcus. Right. Okay. But before we do that, we've got to go turn this satellite on. Oh, I don't want to turn the satellite on. I just want to... <laughs> you're going to get me killing stuff anyway, so let me get the killing stuff and <laughs> progress the story. Like, you know? So that... It was a really conflicting episode for me. Um... The reason that I said, unless they do use it as a thread later, is for one simple reason. And that is that there were so many callbacks to the Clone Wars and to the Separatists. Because if you think about it, you know, Doc Brown basically said Dooku was right. Dooku was right, wasn't he? So, you know, mm -hmm. the Separatists were theoretically the good guys um, for, for, for such a long time. And... That's because there was so much Clone Wars stuff in there, the droids and, 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 and Christopher Lloyd saying Dooku was right. It just leads me to believe that they've, not saying they'll do anything with it, but if they ever wanted to, they could. They could tell the story of the Separatists genuinely being right, you know, and the Republic becoming the Empire, the falling democracy that Dooku hated so much actually fully fall into its knees and becoming the Empire. Like, it's a thread that has not been pulled on that much, apart from the prequels. Um, mm -hmm. and, and obviously the Clone Wars and so on. But it's never been a, apart from, again, maybe some of the books, but it's never been a, these guys, let's tell the story of these guys being right. You know, it's always been the other side of it. So that's the only little caveat. So I found that episode so conflicting, dude. And like you said, a world away from all this stuff. Now, did it world build? Yes. Are they going to do anything with that? You know, the, the, the 35 minutes that they spent building that particular part of the universe, will they ever do anything with it again? If they don't, I'll still be annoyed by the episode. If they do, all well and good. But it was great to see Jack Black and Lizzo and, and, and Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> and I bet that was like the scene where Christopher Lloyd and Jack Black and everyone, Mando and everyone was there. Bet that was hilarious to film. I bet that was mint. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, what do you think, dude? How, how do you feel? I, I, I would imagine you feel exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. So my score was a, I think it was a six initially when I when I first watched it. I thought, oh yeah, it's probably a six that one because 
it's difficult to um sometimes for me at least it's difficult to find criticism when you're doing exactly the same stuff that George Lucas did back in the original trilogy where there are some parts of especially Return of the Jedi where you just think what the like what what is this what is this bit I'm I'm looking at here because this has nothing to do with Han Solo being badass nothing to do with Luke as a Jedi it's just C-3PO floating up in the chair with these little giggly things and it's all very, very, very kiddie and fun. And you think, okay, the, this is very different. The tone is very different to the rest of the film. And then you watch an episode like this where you have Bo and Din doing their thing and trying to find the Mandalorians and it's very serious. But then you have Jack Black just, you just cannot be serious. Like with, when, Even when he's being serious in his performance, you can't help but smile because of all the other wacky zany stuff that he does and has done before and the same with christopher lloyd you cannot listen to his voice without thinking like the fucking delorean's going to turn up in a minute and uh, and all that stuff so but I, I, it's, it's difficult for me to be critical of that because that's sometimes just star wars that's just sometimes every now and then you just need to have a little diversion and just have a bit of do you know what this is just crazy just for the sake of it being let's just find this other planet and just do some weird shit just for half an hour um so i know it doesn't relate to the bigger jigsaw puzzle too much in terms of mando's journey and bo katan's journey and you know the bigger thing with mandalore i get that but i didn't score it lower than a six for that reason I think a lot of people were very harsh. Like I saw reviews on, and tweets and stuff where people were destroying it, saying it was like the worst thing they've ever seen in Star Wars and, you know, all the your usual shit. But I don't think it was that bad. But cameos aside, it was just cool to see those little throwbacks. You mentioned the droids and whatnot. And I think mm, potentially the only thread that might get carried through, we might see later on, is the whole separatist thing with... um you know, with the little nanodroids and trying to bring the droids back and, and all that stuff. So Commissioner Hellgate, who was the Chris Valoy character, I think he's probably the most interesting bit in the story and his reason for doing that. And you kind of suspected it anyway. Anyone that's seen uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit from years ago will know that he can play a really good villain, really like sinister uh, sort of badass villain. So yeah, I, I thought his little thread alone was was pretty sweet the rest of it i don't know it just it it did feel a little bit whimsical and a little bit yeah let's just do a bit of well building just for the sake of it and it does make me wonder when they were looking at season this third season and looking at all the episodes as a whole and how they run the narrative and the arc through the whole season what people's reactions would have been to this episode because as well as the viewer thinking oh yeah the mandalorian's amazing and all the rest of it as the the makers of the show who are obviously fans of it of, of course um uh, old apollo creed said that when we saw him on the panel he said that everybody involved in the show is you know just love star wars love the mandalorian you know massive fans everybody it, it would have been really interesting to see right filoni and favreau like look dudes this is this is chapter 20 21 and uh, it's going to be a bit different but um uh, sorry, uh, 2022, 20, sorry. It's going to be a bit different, but just bear with us. And you mentioned it earlier. It's like you, you wonder whether some of this stuff is going to be picked up again later on. Maybe that was their MO for this one. It was like, 
guys this is a little bit different don't worry we're going to get bryce in she loves all the cute stuff we'll get her to direct it it's going to be a little bit different but just bear with us because up here yeah there's going to be like an episode of ahsoka down the line or an episode of something and you're going to love this bit so anyway i, I scored it for that reason but um yeah uh, what did you think too the um the relationship building as well as the world building stuff between mando and bogtan because it's clear that he there's something there right between those two i'm not saying anything romantic not at least at the moment but there's definitely something there where as each episode goes on his respect for her and his view of her as the true leader i guess of mandalore um has progressed a lot you know it's gone from them two being a bit you know like the morning after the row that kind of vibe to now he's like yeah you're the you're the dude and now and also your thought on why it's taken this long for him to give her uh the dark saber at the end but yeah what do you think to the relationship because grogu's out of the picture there's no point in talking about grogu yeah the bond's a bit stronger but mm-hmm. those two man it's definitely a thing yeah, it is. And I, I think that's the, the subtlety of, of these kind of episodes. I can see why people are annoyed by this episode being so late in the game. But then if you think about, you know, the last two episodes are nearly a 90 minute, essentially a 90 minute movie. Like that's, that is plenty of time. We just want more of it because we really enjoy it. <clears throat> so I do get the, the, the point from the people complaining about it. And I, I feel the same, like I said, to a degree. And um, the, just kind of, before I answer the question on, on Bo-Katan and, and Mando, the, the, I just feel like if you've got the Imperial Remnant that's building such power, um, I just wonder if they're laying the seeds to turn the tables and the droids actually, essentially, you know, the Mandalorians, any bits of rebellion or whatever, or resistance that are starting to form um, in this time period, you know, they're essentially becoming separatists. I, I just wonder if we're going to see the droids chip in and that's maybe why and it might not be in this like I said it might be in the Filoni movie whatever it might be just it, that's a very Filoni thing to do is to take something that was perceived as a bad person and a bad thing and a bad bad um, evil and go actually it can also do this for good it's the lines are blurred and that's a very Filoni thing to do so I, I wonder whether we'll see the droids reused as good guys you know um, to the point about um, Mando and, and, and Bo-Katan we see it in the next episode about the respect, like it reaches its peak in that next episode, which we'll get to in a, in a, in a bit. But I think you're right. I think it's been building. And like I, said, I don't think it's romantic. I think it's very much a case of, look, we're two different factions. We've had two different sets of beliefs. And it feels as if the way that it's been written for Filoni, uh, uh, sorry, for Filoni and Fav to, to, to explore is that it's all about them trying to find that middle ground and understand that actually we're just all Mandalorian people. You know, it, it's subtext and, and commentary on, on, fascism and racism and everything that we all we all see sadly day to day in real life it's 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 it feels like commentary on that that we can all find a place to just exist together happily without you know without me bashing your beliefs and you bashing my beliefs you know that's what that feels like if you look if you were to go real subtext on it real freudian on it it feels like that's it um in universe narratively, why is it taking him that long to, to give her the dark say? But I think for two reasons, just because I think they needed to feel each other out. Like she's been a bit of an arsehole in the past, like selling out Satine to death watch. But then he's from Concordia, which is where death watch are from and Paz Vizsla, uh, sorry, pre Vizsla was from. So like, 
to her, it's like fucking Concordians. You know, it's children, and they say, again, they say it later on, which we'll talk about, but children of the watch may just, they may be, and I'm, they probably are, given past Vizsla's armour, they're probably just a faction of Death Watch that splintered. So you can sort of see why she'd be like, nah, not these guys again. And so there's, a, I feel like there's a lot of that feeling out. And, and the story of Mandalore is becoming so intricate. I mean, it's always been intricate. It's always been difficult to follow. And and, and, and certainly in the next episode, uh, you know, chapter seven or chapter 23 or whatever it is, episode seven of this season, the fear that the Remnant has over the Mandalorians getting back together. Like, we've never seen that before. It's just been like, why is Mandalore so popular? Like, and it's it was because, we always thought it was because Satim was so, um, you know, there was a lot of war in the past against the Jedi, internal fight and civil wars. Satim was like, we ain't doing this shit anymore. It's silly. But then Bo-Katan went against that entirely. But now she's back to believing what Satine said and being like, we should bring everyone together and we can't fracture. This is why it... So... I think there's a lot of nuance in there which sometimes can get missed because certainly episode 7 of this season chapter 23 which we're just about to move on to is is it, it, it it's not just a straightforward show like it has been anymore it's it, it shift there's a palpable shift in this next episode which will I'm sure we'll dig into because it's fascinating. But I think the lot, a lot of the characterizations and the nuance with the characters can get missed because we're so used to a straightforward, go to this planet, you meet a sheriff that's wearing Boba Fett's armor, you kill a monster. You go and fight a bad guy, the chips are down, Luke Skywalker comes. And it's a different kind of badass moment when Luke comes to, to what we saw in, in the most recent episode. So I think, I do feel that a lot of it is really well written and really well nuanced and well put together, but sometimes I wonder if we just miss it because we are so used to a a space western, which it's not anymore, which I know we'll talk about. So yeah, I think there's nuance to it and I, I, I feel that those characters are the real clear representations of the two factions of Mandalore, you know, well, and, and, and the others that, that we'll, I'm sure we'll see turn up. Um but they feel like they represent that, you know, it's not, they're not physically fighting about you're a dick, you're a dick, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're tribesmental, you're tribesmental. It's the nuance of like trying to learn from each other, which they've done with the mythosaur and all that sort of stuff. And, and the respect builds and builds and builds. Um, I do think they could have got it wrong. I do think they could have gone too quickly into that. Um, and just been like Mando sees another Mando, they all get on. You know, especially because when they met, Mando didn't believe the creed anymore. He was like, I take my helmet off, it's cool. Mm. You know, Mandalore's poisons. And then Bo-Katan sort of influenced him. That's not poison, actually. Maybe we should go check. Um, so, yeah, very nuanced, man. But I think they've played it out really nice. And I, I wonder if we'll look back on this season and last season as really developmental for the next phase of that corner of the universe, you know? Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. No, I agree with all that, dude. I think the, the nuance... And, and how well it's written has been has been progressed, and it's a bit of an upward curve as well. Because so far this season, it has been a little bit like, okay, we've had the odd little filler here and there. This episode is a good example of that for the most part, and we've had the odd bit of side questing going on and all that stuff. But for the most part, the the um, those little nuances have been 
have been building more and more and we'll, we'll get on to that now when we view the next episode so let's wrap this one up because i think we've got more to talk about in the next one so this one chapter 22 um guns for hire a 6.5 from you then and a six from me defo Le- defo let's move on to the penultimate episode of the season so episode or chapter uh, 23 the spies and uh okay i'll Good try my best with this one yeah i'll Good try and my best in this i'm glad yeah. that you landed on this one because i was worried about <laughs> it last night after i'd watched it i was like oh shit i've got a recap <laughs> and i was like, oh no it's gazza's Good luck. Good luck, yeah. Okay, so I think I'll try my best to whiz through this because a lot happened. Essentially, we get the reveal that, yes, Moff Gideon is back, that we suspected he was because of um, the 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 manipulation by Elia Kane, the character that we saw a few episodes ago when she manipulated uh, Pershing into, you know, going to steal the cloning testing equipment and all that stuff and you knew that in the back of her mind we all knew that she was working for Gideon we just didn't have it you know said or visualized so we know that he's back and we also saw the little clip previously where his detention ship was was attacked and he was busted out so we knew we knew he was coming but we just didn't know how big he was still entrenched in the whole um you know remnants of the empire that's still knocking about and so on so he was he has tasked Elijah Kane with um with a mission that he's you know he's basically said like, just carry on doing what you're doing I'll handle the Mandalorians because he was really surprised that it was the Mandalorians that stepped in to stop the pirates on the Varro um he thought it was just going to be you know whatever and uh so he's like oh fuck's sake the Mandalorians are back what are they up to so he's going to go and handle that personally so we know that Gideon's back we also know that, um, as the, in the closing scenes of the previous episode, that with Bo-Katan um, actually getting the Darksaber back and getting all of her dudes back and then going back to see the, um, you know, the other faction and the armor and that stuff, they have decided right now is the time to head back to Mandalore. We're not just going to turn up and, you know, get the slippers out and the, and the Xbox set up. We're going to just scout the area, see what's going on. So they do that, and they run into some trouble in this one, of course. But they're on Mandalore. Gideon knows this. And uh, and we know it's going to kick off fairly soon. So we that's the first thread, I guess, of the story, is they've decided to go back to Mandalore to start the process of let's take the planet back. We're now united, mostly. There's a few bits to iron out, but we're mostly there, and we're going to do it. Bogotan's decided. Mando's on board. He's ready to rock and roll. Uh, Grogu's got a new battle suit, so when he goes back to Navarro, uh, Mando thinks that IG uh, is it IG eleven, uh, which yeah. uh, grief now calls him IG twelve. He's had a bit of an upgrade. He's had all of his memory chips dismantled or wiped, taken out, whatever, and now it's more of just a sort of a, an exo suit or a vehicle, as grief calls it. And uh, as we all know, would happen as soon as the little dude hopped out, uh, Grogu hopped in and. Uh, and that was more humorous than anything else. We'll get on to a, f- a few little details with that. So Mando's all ready to go. Grogu's equipped. Mando's are there. Everything's ready to go. In between this happening, we then get exposed to uh, something that's... Anyone that's... Anyone, if, if you've read any of the books from the Legend series over the years, anything by um, Timothy Zahn, anything by... 
uh, what's the dude's name who wrote the aftermath books? Uh, Chuck Wendig. Any, Chuck if you've Wendig, read, yeah. yeah, if you've read any of those things, you would have loved this episode. If you've not read it, don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, it's it's all going to be explained, I guess, in the next thing and the upcoming series. But we have this thing called uh, the Shadow Council, and the Shadow Council is essentially a precursor to what's going to happen later on in the sequel trilogy. So the the Shadow Council is a bunch of um, imperial um, uh, lieutenants or sergeants or captains, whatever, or admirals that are still knocking around within the Outer Rim, but they're trying to uh, regain or maintain control of some of the territories that they still quote-unquote own as part of the old imperial remnant. And the only way they can do that is by sharing resources. So some of them have got loads of uh, droids and guards, all the rest of it. Others are really struggling. So um, uh, Gideon's basically said, look, I need to deal with this Mandalorian problem. I need you to give me some 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 Praetorian guards, which is very cool, and um, and some droids, all the rest of it. And there's a little bit of... There's a little bit of side-eye going on between these dudes. If you remember back to... Uh, even back to A New Hope, even, any time that you saw any kind of imperial officer within the ranks, you'll know that it's all very frosty, all very... Um, uh, there's just... It's like the opposite to the rebellion stuff or the resistance. There's no harmonious um, managerial, whatever you want to call it. It's all very much like, right, as soon as he's... As soon as Vader's choked him out, I'm in the spot. Yeah, so see you later, mate. And it's kind of that same vibe within the Shadow Council. There's like, those two clearly get on. We have um, the appearance of um, uh, Hux. Um, So General Hux that you saw in the sequel trilogy. His dad, I think it is. um, uh, He's there and uh, a character that I know you will love, dude, uh, is also there, um, Paleon. So he's there. Those two are like in cahoots, but the other people in the council, they're like, "Mm," especially Gideon. And uh, so, yeah, we'll dive into the details, but the Shadow Council are there. And the biggest thing, though, the one thing that we knew was coming anyway, because if you've seen the Ahsoka trailer, you'll know that the arrival of Thrawn is round the corner. So Gideon thinks he's a little bit of a, you know, all all bark, no bite kind of character, whereas um, Hux and Paleon, they're like, no, no, no. We, we take our orders from, especially Paleon, he's like, I take my orders from Thrawn. And he's coming. And Gideon tries to call him out a little bit. He's like, yeah, where is he though? You know, you've been saying this for a while. We've been cracking on no Thrawn, whatever. But I think that's the biggest takeaway from that. And you put it very, very nicely, dude, when we were texting about this last night, where all this stuff with the Shadow Council, all of this stuff with with Mandalore and some of those bits that were happening, this episode did a fantastic job of being that... that shift in the Mandalorian from, and you mentioned it earlier, from going just to be, from being just a, a Star Wars Western vibe about one character is now the bridge between the prequels, the sequel trilogy, and the, the, the Clone Wars. So all of these things, you can just see them all starting to coalesce into this big, this big um, crossroads, if you like, within the, within the story. So, uh, I'm sure there's a few more bits to get onto with this dude as well. But, um, oh, and then the other thing that was mentioned, which is another bridge to the sequel trilogy, is this Project Necromancer. So this is the this is the thing that we never knew 
powered the the back end story of the sequel trilogy. What, what I mean by that is we never knew where Snoke came from. We we didn't know in the first two films whether Palpatine was actually going to come back on on all that stuff. This is the thing where and again, if you've read any of the books, if you've read the Plagueis book, you'll know about those dudes really into the cloning stuff and bringing people back from the dead and that whole necromancer thing. So, loads to talk about, dude. Let's try and get through it. Your score out of the gate. Uh, I, uh, this is why I say 10 out of 10s, man. This was just a 10 straight across the board. And it was just, there was everything was right about this. Like there was just enough little nods, but there were the type of nods that it wouldn't matter if they weren't nods. Everything the sequel trilogy did wrong, like we talked about a thousand times. It's, there was no need to use Peleon. There was no need to use Brendel Hooks, but they did. To my mum, doesn't matter. There's just a guy that's doing cloning shit and the guy that believes this other guy's coming back. To us, it's like, right, mint. So it it just, everything was right about it. The emotion levels were right. The, you know, there's a lot of spoilers coming. If you've not watched it yet, I'm sure you have. But um, every, every part of it was right. It, like I said last night uh, when we were talking about it, in one fell swoop, it became a, it became a clear sequel to the Clone Wars, clear sequel to Rebels, and a clear prequel to the sequel trilogy, all whilst building on the Aftermath books by bringing Brendel Hooks in, by bringing the Shadow Council in from those books. Um, they, it literally swept up and just wrapped every piece of media up, ready to focus it in storytelling. Little bit, like with the Project Necromancer, little bit retconny because we know the First Order didn't know Palpatine was coming back. And we did, we we probably well, the first order didn't know that that, that Snoke was a clone, um, but that can be explained away because we know it's Gideon working on the other stuff. Not you know he's already misdirected the Shadow Council by saying Pershing's dead. Um, we couldn't get his gear, his research from the Republic, so you can't have it. Like he's. And, but he instigated that with Lycan, so he's keeping that shit for himself, which is, I believe that is Filoni and Favreau's get-out-of-jail-free card for explaining why the First Order didn't know about Palpatine. Mm, yeah. I think that is what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, just everything, everything was great about it, from the remnants of the Mandalorians on the planet through to the Paz Vizsla scene at the end with the Praetorian Guards, which was absolutely badass, like one of the best scenes out of all Star Wars. Um, just so well done. Every element of it was well done. The guest stars were right. There were some recognisable faces from like Breaking Bad. Uh, the guy that played Pelion was Xander Berkeley, George Mason from 24, very famous guy. Um, there was just the right amount of talent in there, but it wasn't distracting. And it, But it was like, okay, you need to get Pelion in there, for example, get someone with gravitas. Okay, that's a perfect bit of casting. So, for me, this is like peak Star Wars, man. And Filoni said this gets better next week. Um, even Grogu did some stuff, which he hasn't done all, all all season. So, yeah, for me, it was just across the board, not just a 10 out of 10, but I think like the best Star Wars that we've seen without, without what season two's finale did you know, the big fan service. That was peak Star Wars. This was peak Star Wars, but for two very different reasons. Like this was also just great TV, you know, just, and the quality of it was just movie quality. So yeah, 10 out of 10 for me, dude. 
Yeah, it was. And that's a really good point as well. I think the the finale that we had last time where Luke showed up, that was a very singular thing. That was just about the Jedi. That was just about Luke turning up to to pick up Grogu, essentially. And so it was very, very linear. That We knew that was sort of coming as well, didn't we? Because I remember when you and I reviewed it, we were like, is Luke going to turn up? Probably Luke's going to turn up. Maybe he will. No, he's not. Yeah, Luke might turn up. And then uh, it sort of culminated with that, that whole thing. Whereas this one, it's just pulling at so many threads. It's like, yeah, we've got this going over here, like you mentioned from Rebels, which I forgot to mention. Very, very heavily Rebels influence, which is the Filoni stuff all over, isn't it? So you've got all this stuff from Rebels, and you've got the sequel uh, stuff with the Praetorian Guards, and yeah, just so much going on. It's a vast contrast to um, the more linear arc that we had in the previous seasons. And for that, I think that just opens up a load more doors, dude, because, well, it obviously does because there's more stuff going on. But what I mean is you've now got an opportunity to, um, in the future shows that are coming up, maybe even the the movie that Filoni's going to make, which is going to finalise all the Mando Universe stuff, you're not you're not limited to either having to reinvent stuff and create characters and everything because you need a plot device and you're not writing yourself into a corner with anything because you've got all of this um just a, a whole treasure trove of stuff that's come in from the animated stuff the movies everything so for that reason it was just like watching star wars all over again it was like watching an, a new thing and just being excited for all the stuff that's coming up around the corner. I think you're right. I think the when he mentioned that next week's going to be even better, I think that's going to be a, a, a story of two halves for me. I think it's going to have the expected, yeah, it, um, the whole, uh, f- the, another fight for Mandalore. I, I think that stuff's, that stuff's coming. But also, I think there's going to be a bit of a curveball lobbed in there. Something's going to happen with Gideon because you 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 twatted him in the last season and you thought right is he dead is he captured sorry not is he dead but is he captured is he coming back to know you can't I don't think you can do that again a second time and get away with that so he's either got to be killed off or he needs to he's going to be elevated to some kind of you know some some higher status within something that leads on to the first order or something i'm not sure so yeah i think um all these threads dude and the good thing about who directed this one do we know because even though it had loads going on there was like lots of characters lots of stuff happening um it felt like a really cool it's like a mini movie right did you mention that it felt like a like a mini film it just flowed really nicely like sometimes with these things and we've said it before on certain episodes you, you sometimes end up with this messy vibe where it's like ah oh, we should have seen more of that character or why didn't they deep dive on on that and stuff it was all here for us dude like that that meeting that we had with the shadow council that didn't need to be any longer than what it was you know it didn't need to be and it, it was just perfect so i think i'm with you dude i think a 10 for me on this one it was so much star wars but it was a lot of star wars in a good way you know there, nothing was wasted i guess put it that way um you mentioned the scene at the end with uh, with Vizsla, because he's been an interesting character, right? Because he's there's no sort of hierarchy within their within their faction, I guess, uh, other than the armorer, I think. 
but he kind of took the lead a little bit on a few things and you knew that he was he was coming what did you think to his turnaround as a character because I guess my only bit of criticism for this episode would and it's not a big one but there was a lot of animosity between him personally and when the other Mandalorians turned up even to the bit when they were on route to Mandalore they're on that ship and they're playing the game and he's just he's not having it you know I've got one rule you've got another rule and it ends up in a big fight literally fast forward an hour and he's sacrificing himself for those dudes what do you think to that even though the scene was badass what do you think to his character because yeah that was a very quick turnaround I think it was more just dick measuring with the with the fight you know you've got two people who are seen as leaders within that faction and they've, they've either got to one of them's got to back off or, they, or they've got to learn to coexist as, as sort of leaders you know it's, it's basically you know Apollo and Rocky in, in Rocky 3 you know they've, they've found peace with, with where they, they, they sit within um, their own sort of uh, creed their own nah, creed with their own sort of um, what's the what's the word you know w- within their I don't want to say hierarchy but within their life if you like they they just know what the respect levels are and I think that's all that was I think that was just two alphas needing to needing to just butt heads and be the kind of you know the two plates that push against each other and come out a little bit differently um, I think I think that's all that was I think you would see that in any kind of you know ma- where there's a macho you know you introduce Carl Weathers and Arnie and Swart- in, uh, Schwarzenegger in, in Predator and what do you get you get a a handshake and at that point you realize they're both equals that's the that's the point of that handshake um and i think that's all that was i think that is all that was um the death scene though the way that you know so that they discover by the way the fact that there was an imperial base that he was hiding on mandalore and that's why he said it was poisoned and told everyone it was poison is absolutely fucking genius like a smart cookie that was great story point um, and that that whole surprise and all that sort of stuff, um, that entire scene was br- just really, really excellent. From Mando getting beat down, everyone, you know, thinking, "Oh my word!" Grogu's reaction, um, and then Paz Vizsla, you know, sacrificing himself after the dark saber had cut through the door, which was also badass. You're like, right, okay, now we've now we've get we're getting everything that's in Filoni's head. That's all coming out now. It's all coming out. Um, and I think it was interesting with the death scene. I think that's intended to unite the people. Well, two things. I think it's intended to unite the Mandalorians and show that it actually there's a common enemy because they've lost a talisman and that opens up room for Axe Wolves or whatever his name is to, to assume that position. Um, but I also think it just, it shows, because I think this is going to be a big story beat, the Praetorian Guards, the last time we saw them on screen was Last Jedi and it took two pretty damn good badass force wielders to take him down and I think there was only three or four then as well Mm -hmm. Um, and there's three of them and they took down the biggest strongest most machine gunned Mandalorian that we've seen who was clearly from Death Watch days and they took him down easily like and that was a brutal scene from him snapping the neck of the Beskar trooper down to the you know the stabbing of him and all that that was a that was a that was the most adult Star Wars scene I think I've ever seen um and I think it was intended to show the Praetorian Guards in all their glory because I, yeah. that's where I think we might see Grogu and maybe a little bit of help from someone. Maybe we're going to see an, an Ahsoka or someone like they're badass. 
Like, it's going to need Mandalorians to unite to take them down, or it's going to need a little bit of extra help, or it's going to need the Mandalorians getting tipped over the edge by Grogu doing something mega force, you know? Um, so okay. I think there was a lot of setup in that as well, because let's be honest, they gave him a freaking battle suit, you know? Grogu's mm-hmm. got a Zord. So <laughs> he's... I. It's 90% clear that he's going to go on a tear, isn't he? He's not got a lightsaber. He needs a weapon. That's his weapon. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's going to go on a tear at some point now. Um, and I think the point of this, the, the episode with him there as well was to show that he can communicate. He understands. And, you know, the little nod between him and Mando. We've never seen that level of interaction. It was just, I think that was just intended to show that I, I, I do, I understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and I'm he could vocalise that stuff because it was a bit of a gag, wasn't it, when he was hitting the no. That's it. No, all the time, or yes, whatever. But it was just, yeah, you're right, just to show that he absolutely understands what Mando's saying to him. Yeah. He's just being a bit of a little prat like some kids are sometimes, you know. Yeah, and maybe yeah. he just can't speak yet. Maybe it's just a species development mm. that we just don't, we simply just don't know. But yeah, to the Paz Vizlacy, I thought it was great. I thought Gideon, you know, Gideon had the very Clone Wars-esque, Rebels-esque um, Darth Maul inspired helmet, which I thought was badass. Um, and it was just that entire thing was very well thought out. Just the whole thing from the TIE interceptors to the TIE bombers. Um, everything, you know, it's all leading to Thrawn, all that entire stuff. I wonder on the back of that, whether it's built, it'll be the Shadow Council that wipes out Gideon because they're all pulling for Thrawn and the First Order. You know, the Shadow Council is led, that's from the Wendig books. Um, they bail to the outer regions. They're all in the outer regions dealing with their stuff, trying to build up the empire again. I think they see Thrawn, obviously, as this this heir to the empire, this leader. Um, and I think, personally, the First Order comes after the downfall of Thrawn. I think that's sort of a right... And that's where Snoke can really take hold. Um, yeah, yeah. And it feels like... It just feels like they might be the ones that take Gideon out because they realise that actually he's got his own agenda. They they think Pershing's dead. Um, so I, yeah, I'm fascinated by it all, man. But that scene, the Paz Vizsla scene, was was brilliant. Um, the some of the Easter eggs as well in this that weren't Easter eggs, I thought were interesting and worth mentioning because a lot of them just weren't Easter eggs. They were just well written plot points, like. You know, everyone goes on about fan service and all that sort of stuff. When we saw those Mandalorians that had been left on Mandalore after the purge, um, great casting um, and, and and just really well put together. Big sail barge, very Mad Max-esque, very much so. Um, all the vibes were great on that one. And there were so many little Easter eggs in that, you know, from Bo-Katan saying how the purge went down and the... Um, that being such a flip to her Clone Wars arc and and, and, and all that, you know, th- there was a yeah. lot in there that people are classifying online as Easter eggs that weren't. They were just telling the story. And when when um, Children of the Watch and the Mandos just went, right, we're from Concordia, I literally went to Sam, oh shit, that's where Death Watch are from. I just, it clocked. And the guy, the character went, you're not Death Watch, are you? And which then explained, actually, it, it just rectified all the storyline from Rebels and the Clone Wars. Like, what happened to Death Watch? After all that kicked off. And it just one or two well thought out, well written lines mm-hmm. make it that sequel that you can you can enjoy. Um and it, because they didn't need to do that. You know, they could have just gone, You're from Concordia. Boy, are you a real Mandalorian then? You know, that could have that could have been the comment and anything like that. 
but they didn't. They everything was really purposely placed, which I thought was interesting. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah, agree, dude. And those um those guys that they found on Mandalore, they did have that that you know the old Bad Batch troop that you mentioned in you know I think it's in Rebels we see them. They're just sort of out in the wilderness doing their thing on their sort of pre-purpose built ship and stuff. It felt very much like it's just all felony, like all of those things. It is all of it. It just feels so like Filoni's just sat there with a sketchbook and a notepad and he's like, yeah, this is what we're doing. And it just translates really well. And it's just that so good. That logic of him just seeing the bigger picture, like we said earlier, Mm -hmm. it just feels like he's just gone. Right. Do you know what it's like? It's almost like, you know, um, say you, say you, you, you're in a pub and you're talking to, to some, some, some person, some stranger, what you into? Star Wars. Oh yeah, love the films. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Love it. Empire. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. You're like, yeah, yeah, have you watched Clone Wars? Rebels? Nah, nah, not into cartoons, mate. They're for kids. It's like, Filoni thinks like we do, which is it doesn't matter the medium, whether it's a book, a comic, a TV show, a movie, animated. It's just the same story. And it's just the way it's delivered that's different. And I think Star Wars gets away with that more than most because there is no hardcore violence. Yeah, there's a lot of fighting but there's no blood. Yeah, we saw a neck break and some stabbing yesterday, which is, I think, the most brutal we've ever seen Star Wars. Um, But it doesn't matter because all this, the whole Mandalorian season, the whole Mandalorian show, all of Ahsoka, all of the Book of Boba Fett could have been animated and it would have been just as good. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the way Filoni's thinking. He is thinking that way, yeah, because when we had that meeting with the council, there was certain characters there that, alongside the whole Thrawn thing, which I think mainly was the Palian character that was the link there with Thrawn, because those two had been such, you know, if you've read any of the Thrawn novels, you'll you'll know that those two are kind of like, you know, thick as thieves throughout most of those those trilogies. Um, but the other guy um, that we've mentioned as well, um, uh, Hux, uh, Brendel Hux, uh, if you've read... Um, the the book phasma and you might think what's that got to do with it but if you've read that book then you'll you'll know that um that that character hux is one of the one of the dudes that sets up the first order so his involvement in that probably links to what you were saying dude earlier in that those guys are probably very much part of the thrawn fan club and want to get the first order rocking and rolling once they come out of this whole you know, crap, we've been disbanded by everything in the run-up to The Force Awakens or the Battle of Jakku and everything. Now let's go off and do this thing with the First Order. It's, you're probably right. It's probably Moff just doesn't fit into that. Uh, Gideon doesn't fit into that. He just doesn't fit into that plan because, as you said, he's got his own agenda. He's going down this whole cloning route thing and wants to do his own thing with that. Because I think he's, he alluded in this episode to wanting to create the perfect soldier or something like that because he's already got all the armor sorted he's got the best car armor and it's infused with something and you know in the, the you know the whole death trooper thing so or sorry the dark trooper thing so yeah i think you might be right with that dude if i had to i'm not a betting man but if i had to put some money down i would say that it's probably those guys that take him out from within within the the shadow council or whatever yeah i think so mate. and, and yeah. i think the, the, the hooks thing as well like from the aftermath stuff like he was seen by Rax, Gallius Rax, who was like the person entrusted by the Emperor to make sure the Empire bailed to the unknown regions to regroup. 
And then Ray Sloan sort of screws it all up by thinking he's been a bit of a dick and she's running the empire, which leads to the Battle of Jakku. Like the, 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 Brendel Hooks is one of the key people that they f- they focus on in the books because he's the guy that he's recruiting the kids for the Stormtrooper training program, but also is involved in like the, you know, are they, they going to do clones? Are they going to do conscripts? Um, so they see him as a real key figure. He's like, they, they literally go out of their way to save his ass. Um, and then we see the sequel trilogy. Obviously, it's his kid, General Hooks, who's, you know, he's right up there with Snoke and, and, and uh, Kylo Ren in the First Order. So just really well done. And then to cast Dom Gleason's brother as Brendel Hook, she just like, Genius. Oh, well yeah. done. You know, yeah. well done. Yeah, I have to say the casting has been bang on pretty much, hasn't it, for Mando? I know we yeah. joked a little bit about the cameo casting in the last episode, but yeah. overall it has been cast really well. Yeah, it has. Um, the Jack Black thing is just funny. It's like <laughs> Jack Black's like a Denzel or a Will Smith or even like a even a Ryan Reynolds. It's just like I get what you're doing, <laughs> but that's just Jack Black. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. Whereas a lot of sort of other actors like Christian Bale, you, you and even Harrison Ford and people like that, you're just like I know that's Harrison Ford in my mind. But he, that's a, that's the character. And there's just some actors that don't do that because they're so powerful as themselves. You know, Jack Black is just Jack Black. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that because he's immense, he's talented, he's brilliant at everything that he does. But he's Jack Black. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of the casting's been been great, man. I, I, it's It's been fascinating. One, one thing I want to ask you about is, <clears throat> excuse me, the range of different types of visuals in this episode. Okay, so what I mean by that is we've had Coruscant Blade Runner 2049 at the beginning, which felt prequely, felt Blade Runner, Imperial Probe droid, felt uh, Andor, felt, like like I said, the dirty side of the prequels, right? We got that. Then we've got Navarro that clearly feels like, you know, original trilogy, Yavin, blah, 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 very kind of lush. Then through the mega storms of Mandalore to this decimated Kryptonian-styled place, very very different sort of vibe. Feels a bit sequel trilogy. Feels a bit Rise of Skywalker, where the uh, the the other moon, um, where the Death Star dies, um, and then suddenly you transport her back to the original trilogy, uh, an Imperial base with all the same rectangular layouts, the lights, the rounded bevel edge lights, the the color palettes, the uh, Tie Fighters, just every like. It feels like this ran the gamut of Star Wars visuals, you know? It, yeah. It, it, and you yeah. must have noticed that as well, because that's your jam, man. Yeah, dude. And it, it, uh, there's two thoughts on that. The first one is, um, the the I'm not sure if this is Filoni directly, but um, somebody pointed out, and it's a, it's it, when you see it, it's obvious, but you, you blink and you miss it. There was an episode of The Bad Batch where in episode one or two of the previous season they were at this planet i can't remember what it was and it's like a really wide shot there's no characters in it it's just sets up the location about where they are and it's a big mountain basically with like this sort of base underneath it and in that episode it's um the the tone of the show at the time was very kind of upbeat i guess you know we're getting to know the characters and everything and it's like a blue sky and it's very lush and green fast forward to i think it's episode three or four of this season the bad batch and the shot that they used is identical to the one they used in the previous season, but 
It's dark and stormy. The trees are not lush anymore. And it fits the tone of the story perfectly. And they did that with the Blade Runner-esque thing mm. on Coruscant on this one, where if you think back to a few eps ago when we had Pershing and Elikane walking around, and it was very neon uh, drenched, but in a good way, very light and colourful. There's kids playing around, they're eating ice cream, all the rest of it. Now we cut here, and the story's taken a bit of a, a darker turn with Gideon back and, and all that stuff. Now it's very rainy, dirty, and esque as you pointed out. So yeah, that visual style also fits in perfectly with the tone of the story as we get into the, the end of the series or mm. the season. So yeah, that I, I picked up on that stuff, but Moving through the story from um, the Navarro stuff and then Mandalore, and, and it, it really it it's almost it's almost easy or too easy at times to to oversimplify that stuff or to trivialize it. But I guarantee it's very very difficult to maintain that visual storytelling alongside the actual script and the, the characters and stuff. Because you can't just say, oh yeah, this scene is set here and it looks like that. It's impossible to do that just on a on a Slack chat or a bit of paper. It's impossible to do that. So, what the fuck? Just imagine, well, imagine a footloon in Favreau. Like they're not texting, they're not meeting, they've not got whiteboards, they're just on Slack. On Slack, yeah. So yeah, we should probably set this scene here, right? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. I guarantee there would have been hundreds of hours worth of concept artists and everybody going through the motions and and doing all that to to really nail home um that that visual representation of where they are and how that um has an effect on the story and, and everything like that so yeah it, it's it's from a designer or an artist perspective it's a dream to watch that stuff and that's always been a cool thing with star wars for the most part it's always been you know very very visual which is which is amazing. So, I loved it, mate. For that for that reason, yeah, it's worth the ten. Yeah, yeah I agree, man. Last yeah. thing I want to mention um, is the music. It's oh, notably yeah. shifted, mm. but subtly shifted all season. Very subtly shifted from the Ludwig Göransson Mandalorian that theme to a more um, upbeat, fuller sound. Um, even different themes coming in. Um, last night was the most obvious version of that. Even even when the logo ident flashed, it wasn't the normal Mando vibe. It was very very different. Um, and then throughout, is it was like I said, it was a lot fuller music. It was a lot more driven. It was a lot more. There was a lot more um, like guitar sort of grind to it. It was a lot more. It was a lot dirtier than the kind of clean, simple solo oboe style you know, Mandalorian vibe, um, which had, from my perspective, but I know we talked about this last week as well, like that, that feels like that just represents the shift from it being the Mandalorian to the Mandalorian people. Um, and it just, it feels like it's now just another style of rebels vibe, which is, it's not just about this one person or subset of people. It's about progressing the whole of the Star Wars galaxy. And that, for me, that music just shifted palpably last night and the tone was so different. To, and I think it just, again, for me, it just felt representative of where the show is now. Did, did you clock that as well? Yeah, yeah, that shift was not in your face, but it was noticeable enough that you thought, 
okay, this feels different. As you're even right off uh, off the bat, as you mentioned with the logo ident and stuff, it just felt like okay, th- this one feels different, and maybe that had something to do with it's such a in contrast to the previous chapter. But when you look back a little bit and you step back, you think actually, right from the the start of the season, that the music has shifted ever so slightly as you've gone through it. And to me, it's it's another storytelling tool to me that the the music, because you can do what some shows do and you just repeat the same, even though some of the music in some shows is amazing. It's just a rinse and repeat sometimes, you know, I remember years ago back watching the X-Files and I loved, I loved the creepy vibe of the X-Files music. But anytime you see like something spooky happen. It's that bit of music, you know, it's the same thing. Even with Doctor Who, you know, sometimes with uh, with Doctor Who, every anytime Matt Smith Doctor runs down a corridor, it's that same piece of music, which is good. But but with The Mandalorian, it's like, no, oh, no, this is, they're, they're shifting it because it needs to be either darker in tone or it needs to, you know, uh, just lean into a slightly bit of, you know, different narrative. So yeah, I appreciate that, dude. It was, um, it was, it was noticeable, but not like, everyone's blown up Twitter like shit did you hear that bit of music it was not like that it was it was different mm. yeah yeah I agree I think the only noticeable theme that, that, that keeps recurring through is anytime Mando swoops in to save someone you get the da 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 you know yeah. that's the only yeah. and that, but that's just the you know the classic again musical ident that you get with Yoda that you get mm. with Luke that you get with you know even the Force has got its own damn theme anytime you talk about the Force you get the Force you get the uh, the, the the binary sunset uh, the binary sunset theme you know the force theme which um but for me i know we've got to wrap up in a set but the for me it, it i just want to kind of cap this episode off by saying that it it now feels like mandalor the mandalorian is firmly rooted in star wars as opposed to being like a for now the way that people feel about the book of boba fett like Andor, for me, was always firmly rooted in Star Wars because the outcome was the Death Star getting blown up. Book of Boba Fett didn't really have much outcome. It was a self, felt self-contained, all well and good, whatever you think of it, it is what it is. Mando has always felt like that, like it was standalone and it benefited from it. But now it feels like it's more firmly rooted in the full lore of Star Wars and it's it, it ha- the things that happen here affect the Skywalker saga at large, you know, which yeah, is where yeah. that's the story. Let's be honest, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that again, has been such a big shift in this, this, this season, but also this, this episode in particular, like I said, just put a net around Clone Wars, Rebels, the sequel trilogy, the prequels even, and just brought it all together. So yeah, I, I, I thought it was a 10 out of 10, man. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, not much to add to that. I agree with uh, with what you said there. The, the, uh, just to cap it off for me, I thought one of the most badass moments that I saw in this, and probably in a in a long while in Star Wars, is outside, outside of um, Kylo Ren coming back as Ben Solo and uh, and having a bit of a tear up, was when the Praetorian Guards attacked Paz Vizsla, and there's a bit of a tear up. What was so badass about that is that when they killed him. They just strolled off like nothing happened. It 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 looked so fucking good in it, and that creates a real fear for those characters because I know we see uh, Ray and and Kylo take them out in the Last Jedi, 
But like you said, that was a struggle for them. But they just seem really OP, mm-hmm. like over. I don't know. I don't know where it would be interesting to see a comic or a book about those guys because wherever mm-hmm. they come from, wherever they're trained or whatever, it's just fascinating because they are badass. Like even like like the the Mandalorians, they've they they're doing it from an emotional place. They want their home back, and they're doing it. They're emotionally charged. These guys are just like we've been told to kill you, so we're going to do it. And now we're going to go and put the kettle on. That's it, isn't it? It's the yeah. job. That's it. That is literally it. And it's, they almost remind me of like the Jedi Temple Guards. Mm. Pretty chilled out yeah. until they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even like a Jedi, you know, and a Sith. Pretty much, yeah. It's the confidence knowing that I can do it and then I do do it and I'm back to like, well, that's not that. To the normal person, that's like, ah, it's badass, but that's just their job, you know? It's like watching a... It's like watching John Ram win the Masters, or it's like watching, you know, a footballer do mint football stuff, or you know, a, a, whatever. So an actor be an actor, you know, some like Heath Ledger slip into the Joker. It's that's the job, but we are blown away by it, and they're just mm. like they get out of makeup and they're just back to having a pint. And you're right that it's the, it was that ferocity, the purposefulness, the speed at which it was executed, and then just the nonchalance of just well, that's the job. That's just what I got to do. And yeah, just just to close on that, I'll ask your opinion. Do you think there'll be outside help to take those down or do you think it'll be the Mandalorians and Grogu? I think it'll just be the Mandos and Grogu. You think this is Grogu's time? I think this'll be where he... Yeah, I think the, so. The edge. I think so, yeah. I think at this point in the game, we've just one episode left. I think it would pull the rug out from underneath all the good work that's been built up with the, the combination of the factions coming together and Mando and everything for them just to be rescued, quote unquote, and and have help would just be a bit of a slap, really. I think it's down to them. Yeah. What about you? I agree. I agree. I think it will need carefully balancing because we've not seen Grogu do that much apart from a couple of force pushers and a bit of acrobatics. He's not got a lightsaber. I don't think he chose the best car armor, didn't he? We assume. We assume, yeah. Unless he whips it out and you're like, oh, tricked you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would prefer, as much as I'd like to see a circle come in and whoop some ass and, and that be the the reunion between Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, as much as I'd like to see that or Sabine get introduced. Because I think they've got to do so. I think they will do something to set something else up in the next episode. Yeah, of course, yeah. I yeah. think that whether it's the next season, some of the best seasons of TV shows like this are though when they don't, or when they literally cut off a full storyline. We've seen it in 24, we've seen it in so many others where it's like, we know we've got another season, but all this is done. And right. that can be really right. satisfying. Um, mm. But I think, I, I do think I'd prefer if it was like, give Grogu a bit of time to shine. You know, you got your battle suit, yeah. you got your force, you know, profit mm-hmm. on that. You know, get your Mandalorians. There's a dark saber. Mm. you know so I think I think it will be that I do yeah um, just to wrap up then uh, 10 out of 10s I think for me in the next one I think Grogu and Bo-Katan rescue mission for Mando and I think that other dude is it Axe Wolves I think he's going to lead the Mandalorian charge to get rid of the, the Imperial stuff in Mandalore I can see that happening I agree maybe maybe right yo then that's 10 out of 10s from us let's wrap there for episode five of the Mandalorian Review Podcast. 
We're nearly at the end now. Got one more to go. That was the penultimate review um, for us. So that was chapters 22 and 23. I hope you enjoyed us uh, giving you a bit of insight into what we think is going to happen and our thoughts on all the very cool characters and casting. Uh, story points and the, uh, the the nuances that have been pulled in from all the other media and stuff. We're, we're loving it, dude. I think if we would have done this review last week and just reviewed the Jack Black episode, it would have been a bit of a, yeah, this is a 15-minute episode. Yeah, we've chatted for quite a while on this one, so all good. Uh, until next time, make sure you are following and subscribing wherever you get your podcast apps. That way you won't miss an episode when this lands for one more week next Friday, and then we're back to spark our rebellion to talk about all the Star Wars news and all that stuff as we go through week on week uh, you can also find that on sparkrebellion.com and we're on the socials too uh, rebellion underscore spark on Twitter and on Instagram as well so chat with us as we chat Star Wars throughout the week it's been good to chat all this stuff dude fascinating to get your thoughts on all this stuff as always yeah likewise dude really enjoyed it and um, looking forward to next week see what next week's bring um, and just yeah, see if it can top this week it's a tall act to follow but uh, I think it might I think it might you'll see it feels like a bit of a two-parter doesn't it so until next week yeah see you then dude yeah have a good one guys and we'll see you next time until then may the force be with you always always